Life Happens Weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome back to Life Happens at 13 minutes past one. Today, of course, the Minister of Basic Education, Angie Mutsaka, is expected to brief the media and the country on uh, the plans that the Basic Education Department have to reopen schools in the coming few weeks. This should happen at around four this afternoon. Make sure you listen to it with uh, Bongi Kuala on Beyond the Headline. And, you know, newspapers have reported that internal documents that have been seen suggest that alternative plans be made for thousands, particularly of matriculants, such as placing them in grade 12 special learning camps in order to help them catch up on lost learning time. Government experts are saying possibly, uh, rather, government is expecting to reopen schools uh, in a rather staggered manner from the 1st of June. But we will hear this, of course, from the minister because schools have been closed since the 18th of March as part of government's measures to combat the coronavirus pandemic data uh, from the NICD, the National Institute for Communicable Diseases uh, that was available uh, points to a lower incidence rate in children under the age of 10 relative to those in the age groups 15 to 19 in terms of uh, uh, contracting uh, COVID-19. So the question we're asking today is the 2020 academic year already lost? And we want to have this conversation with Professor Mary Metcalf, who is an education expert, and also Dr. Nick Spall, who's an education researcher at uh, the Stellenbosch University uh, Economics Department. Uh, good afternoon, Prof. Metcalf. You wrote an interesting article uh, for the Daily Maverick uh, on the 15th of May. And, uh, you know, we will keep referring to that uh, article, but I want to start with the overall question, Prof. Should we regard the 2020 school year as already lost? It's such an interesting entry point, Hamacho, to the conversation, because I think what it highlights is that 2020 is a difficult year for all South Africans, not only in schooling, but in people's personal lives, in the economy, in work and in jobs. And where schools come into this is that schools are going to be an important component of managing um, the infection rate. And the, the question of our responsibility in terms of our own lives and behaving as if we're infected and treating others as if they're infected, taking care of myself, taking care of others, physical distancing, masks, all of that, applies just as much in schools Mm. as it does in any other component um, of our lives. So the strongest message that I want to be saying to families who are concerned about the safety of the children is that we need not to be waiting for some kind of certainty from the minister or from a provincial MEC, is that within the framework of what they say, we as individual parents and families need to step up and support the school to ensure that the school is able to implement all the safety precautions. It's our responsibility. Yeah. The interesting thing is uh, the discussion, uh, the public debate that is going on about the opening of schools is very socially and economically driven a lot. Uh, You know, uh, some people are uh, of the belief that perhaps it's uh, the uh, unions that don't want schools to be opened. And you write in your article, Prof, that the public debate isn't assisted by commentators who position 
petitioned the unions, and I'm quoting you, as opposed to the education department, you know, uh, you say that's not your reading of the ongoing conversation. The conversation is about how unions as key stakeholders are collaborating with the education department to ensure that schools are ready in terms of the institutional practices, the new institutional practices, because they're new to all of us, these practices of managing health so that the teachers, the workers, the learners, everybody is protected. Are those the factors, the only factors from your perspective that would determine issues of safety for the return of children, particularly at basic education level? Mm. So, so firstly, thank you for picking that, that view that I have up so strongly, that in fact both the unions and the departments want schools to open. The unions and the department want those conditions to be safe. But they are struggling, well, struggling may, may, I should maybe withdraw that. They are making sure that they have accurate information across the length and breadth of the country, which is complex, where the resources are different, where there's inequalities. And I believe that as they get the information that enables the minister to give a framework, then schools will be responding with the support of, of families. Mm-hmm. And we need, I think, the next phase is to be able to say, as we open in basic education, how do we give parents that confidence? Because there are so many parents who are anxious about the safety of their children. Mm-hmm. And that confidence comes, I think, from their own action. But I think we may also need to give parents time to just see how things phase in. And not everybody may be rushing back to school. Hopefully it will be the majority and they'll be coming back to school to support and make sure that children are safe. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of parents being anxious about the safety of children, I want to bring in uh, uh, Dr. Nick Spall, who's education researcher at uh, Stellenbosch University uh, Economics Department, because, uh, uh, Doctor, you released a policy brief on who you believe should go back to school first, especially in light of what Professor uh, Metcalf just said about, you know, a lot of parents being anxious about the safety of their children when they do go back to school. And you noted in that policy brief that children under the age of 10 are less susceptible and they can go uh, uh, back first. Do you still hold that view considering research keeps on redefining the story over and over? Um, Yes, Ty, thanks for having me. I do stick by that and I think that that is the consensus amongst researchers both in South Africa and internationally. Um, I've actually just got off a call with um, Prof. Uh, Salim Abdul Karim, the, the head of the Medical Advisory Council, um, and this is the, the view in South Africa as well: is that children are at far lower risk of getting um, of getting the severely ill from COVID-19. It's not a disease or a virus that affects children in the same way that affects adults. And I think that we can reassure parents of young children uh, that the probability of their child getting severely ill or dying from COVID-19 is extremely, extremely small. Uh, and I anticipate that the Department of Health uh, and the Advisory Committee will come out and reassure parents uh, saying that exact same thing.
Okay. Interesting for me to note now, as we're having this conversation, uh, the fact that the basic education minister apparently now has uh, uh, moved uh, the press conference she was meant to give on the reopening of schools to tomorrow instead of today. In light of what you just said about the 10-year-olds, the 10-year-olds being less susceptible, you also, uh, Dr. Spall, stated that how children should return to school is dependent on three factors. Please share those factors with us. Sure. So I think the first one is the health and safety of children and uh, their teachers, uh, as well as their families. Uh, And if we know that young children are less susceptible to this disease, and it also seems that they are less susceptible to transmit the disease to others, it seems safest to bring them back first. So that's the first concern is the health and safety of children. The second one is that as we adapt to living with this virus, The virus is here to stay for the next at least two years. We need to learn to live with this virus, and we cannot just shut down everything for a two-year period. So the question then becomes, how can we adapt our lives so that the health and safety of kids and parents can continue, that our lives can continue uh, amidst the virus? And in short, the economy cannot restart. We cannot go back to work. Parents can't go back to work unless schools, ACD centers, and creches are reopened. So children have the highest burden of childcare uh, for their parents if they're staying at home and schools are not closed, uh, schools are not open. I feel, though, that uh, the bigger burden, Professor Metcalf, uh, probably is on the class of 2020, uh, the matriculants of this year. And what COVID-19 did do was expose, re-expose the social disparities that that exist in most societies. And there are matriculants who come from townships, for example, who still cannot afford enough uh, data to make sure that they go to school online on a day-to-day basis. What does this mean? in relation particularly to matriculants, uh, the teaching methods that are currently being used uh, so that we find a way to uh, save, if at all, uh, the 2020 schooling year or the class of 2020 for the the matriculants. Does this mean that, you know, the school system has to redefine uh, the methodology that they've used to teach, especially considering the break that they've had up until now, up until at least the time that uh, online schooling started? Fantastic question for Moxo. So I want to break my answer down into two parts. Number one is what about the class of 2020 in terms of the metric, the National Senior Certificate? And the second is what are the challenges going forward in the next few years um, immediately and in the next few years about maximizing possibilities of continuity of learning between home and school. So for the class of 2020, I admire the utter determination of the minister and the MECs to do what they can to help the class of 2020 be able to write the exams in order to be able to progress. I think that we need to know that the preparedness of the learners is going to be unequal and we need to make sure that as they complete the exam that there's subsequent opportunities for them to improve if they aren't able to perform at the level that they would like to. That's down the road. I think that immediate pressing concerns for the department is just how to get them back to learning. Your question about the inequalities is profoundly important. 
The minister has said consistently the average family does not have enough devices for all of the children. The average family may not have any devices. It will not have access to data. They may not have reliable Wi-Fi. But what we need to understand, as Nick has said, is that this virus is going to be with us until at least the end of 2021, if not longer. And many learners are going to not be getting the full day at school. Mm. The physical space doesn't allow it. We see some provinces already beginning to think about platooning systems with different grades on different days. So educationists and education leaders need now to be concentrating on how we use low-tech solutions to be able to reach all of our children, not just those with IT. How do we use Uh, distance learning, blended learning, radio, TV, but in a form where learners and their families are not on their own, but teachers are giving guidance. Mm. You won't be in class tomorrow, but there is this radio thing. I want you to do this and to do that homework. Mm -hmm. This is a huge learning curve for all of us. Down the road, yes, we need to be able to... um, learn from the possibilities of the um, IT in our space. But constantly we need to be knowing that our focus should be on the excluded. Yeah. You you speak, uh, Dr. Spall, of uh, the the 10-year-olds being less susceptible uh, and they should be considered to to going back first. And I want to stay with the class of uh, 2020, uh, you know, and and, and find out whether or not you feel uh, we can salvage uh, the the, the 2020 school year, particularly for the class of 2020, because they're 17, 18, 19 sometimes. They're not 10-year-olds. What about them? Yeah. So in the policy brief, I do say that I agree with the minister and the department that the matrics do need to go back first and that we need protocols in place uh, so that they maintain their social distance, wear masks, that their teachers are protected, etc. I think that if this matric class doesn't graduate, uh, it's going to cause a lot of problems in South Africa for the university system. It'll also cause a lot of space problems because the the new grade R and grade 1 class are coming in next year. Uh, we can't get another 100,000 kids uh, space for those 500,000 matrix uh, that remain in the system. So I think we really do need to prioritize getting this matric class completing their academic year and moving on. Your question about whether the 2020 academic year is over, uh, I don't think that it is uh, at the moment. I think that if the department gives clear guidance and protocols about how schooling will work, not just for the next two months, but for the next, uh, the rest of this year and for next year, um, I think we need to be clear that we can't be opening and closing schools like we open and close a window. It takes a lot of logistical effort to figure out when schools need to be open and closed. And I think instead we need to adapt to what happens when there are infections in school, because it's, it's clear that there will be infections in a school, both for children and for teachers. That's not a case of if, it's when that happens. And I think that if the minister gives clear guidance that says if there's, if there's X many infections in a school, it will close, uh, a certain class will be asked to go home or the whole school will be closed for one day. We can't be closing whole schools for 14 days when that's happening with thousands of schools around the country. Okay. Uh, I really think we need to figure out how to live with this virus. 
Okay. Uh, later on, we'll bring in Dr. Felicity Kaufland and Nongleto uh, Madube Dube, who hopefully will also help us expand this conversation. But I only have Prof. Metcalf and uh, Nick, uh, Dr. Nick Spall up until half past. We're talking about whether or not the 2020 school year is uh, salvageable. Um, your last thoughts as, as we round off to, uh, Prof. Metcalf, because uh, you hinted a bit at the fact that, uh, you know, the entire education system, uh, in a way, might be tweaked not a little bit quite quite a lot and and you you talked about using uh, um, you know pu- public uh, entities like television and radio uh, public mediums like that uh, in the interest of of access but I keep going back to uh, my question regarding the social inequalities because there are schools that um, you know the more privileged schools want their kids to go back in the normal way does there have to be a blanket way uh, that it is seen to, uh, particularly in relation for the class of 2020? Uh, Can I quickly come in? I'm sorry to, but I'm going to get a Skype call and then I'm going to just leave you. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Apologies. So I've worried about this a lot, but I, because I think we are going to have inequalities. We've got the existing structural inequalities, which is our task over time to address in education, and Nick has done brilliant work in analyzing this, and we all know it from our experience. But in the question of how schools open, we are going to see unevenness. Mm. Mm. We are going to see some provinces streaking ahead of other provinces. I can give you examples, but we're going to see some metropolitan areas being left behind because they are hotspots. And we all just have to accept that in whatever situation we are, we've got to press ahead and maximize learning within our area of influence. But the responsibility we have in terms of the social inequities is to be able to go back to those who have had less opportunity and do everything we can to make sure that their rights are supported and that we catch up. I don't think, I see some people in social media saying, no. somebody said no schools will go back if one school can't go back. And I don't think that's correct because it's in the interest of all children and all families to be learning. Okay. Unfortunately, time has completely left us, but I thank you for your time, Dr. Nick Spall, education researcher at Stellenbosch University's Economics Department, Professor Mary Metcalf, education expert. We'll expand this conversation with Dr. Felicity Kaufman, academic director, and Nungla Doma Dube, Dube General Secretary at Equal Education. But for now, at 1.31, it's time for the news headlines with Utsi Lesaku.